The scripture reading is from Joshua. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for your enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for this place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast of, on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that from your word you would speak to us and that you would speak into us, that you would speak faith, faith into our hearts and lives. In Christ, for in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I wonder when was when was the last time that you found yourself contemplating a problem in life that from your perspective just seemed impossible to resolve. Maybe, for example, um, you were involved in a conflict with another person and you did everything you could to reach out to them, to make things up to them, to reconcile, and they, you know, wanted nothing to do with it. It just felt like it's impossible that that relationship could ever be restored. Or maybe... Another example, maybe you've slipped into debt, financial debt, student loans, credit cards, whatever, and, and you just, you're barely making ends meet right now. It just feels to you, it's impossible that you'll ever be debt-free again. Or maybe the, the problem you're contemplating is not one that's merely in your life, just a problem in the world. For example, I just recently read a book on racism in America, the church's complicity in that racism, and you know these wounds, guys, they, are, they run so deep in our society. And it's been going on for so long. It can just feel impossible that God could ever heal that brokenness in our country. So when, when is the last time you found yourself looking at a problem that seemed impossible? Now, why do I ask that? If, if you just remember how it felt to be in that situation, I think you'll be able to understand kind of how it felt for the people of God to be in 
the situation that we're reading about today in, in this passage. We're, we're studying the Old Testament book of Joshua. In today's passage, we're at the point where the Israelites have crossed the Jordan River. They are now in the promised land. And now, in order for, for them to settle in this land, the first thing that they have to do is they have to, they have to conquer this enemy city called Jericho. Now, I know the, the, the thought that they had to conquer people, attack people, that is troublesome, right? It raises all kinds of questions, and I plan, I plan to deal with those hard questions next week, okay? But for today, let's just, just kind of take it as a given that for, the, for these refugees from the wilderness to settle in this land, they have to deal with this city. Um, Jericho was a walled city. One scholar has suggested that to us it would look more like a fortress. It uh, was governed by a powerful king. It was defended by a trained army. It was among the nations described by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 9. He described them as, quote, nations greater and stronger than Israel with large cities that have walls up to the sky. And he said the people are strong and tall. So it was an imposing obstacle to them. And it seems to me that to the Israelites, after they entered Canaan, looking at this city of Jericho and knowing that the people there want to destroy them, it must have just felt like this is a problem that can't be solved. And so what I'd like to do with this passage is look at it briefly, and I'd like to point out three, three things Joshua learned in that situation and why they're important to us, even though our situation is so different from theirs. These things that Joshua learned about God in that situation, our situation has changed, but God hasn't changed. So what he learned about God is still true for us today. So, all right, what did Joshua learn about God here? The first thing he learned is that God was present. God is present with us in uh, times of difficulty. Verse 13 of chapter 5 says, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? What a question, right? I don't know if you've ever... Um, been where some, sometimes, you know, your problem, whatever it is, can just start to feel so big. Um, it becomes the only thing you ever think about. It's the only thing you ever talk about. Maybe it's the only thing you ever pray about. Your, your problem just kind of grows till it fills the entire horizon of your whole life. You feel, you, in other words, you, you feel like your problem is the whole World, and you can't imagine how anything else could exist in this world that's not somehow connected to your problem. It's kind of the way it is for, for Joshua here. He, he sees this guy with a sword. He sees this soldier, and he, he's like, you know, I don't know who this guy is, but one way or the other, this guy is connected with my problem. I mean, either he's, either he's one of my friends or he's one of my enemies. I don't know which, but one way or the other, he is involved in my problem because my problem with Jericho, it is so big everything's connected with my problem. He's either for us or against us. My problem's so big, it fills the whole world. So he goes up to the man and he says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the guy says to him, verse 14, neither. Literally, he just says, no, neither. What do you mean, neither? Which side are you on? Are you for us or for our enemies? I just want to know 
where to put you. I want to know where, which, which side of my problem you fit in. Do you fit in this part of my problem or this part of my problem? I know you fit somewhere in my problem because everything fits in my problem. Everything is part of my problem. Where, where should I put you? Which, where do you fit in this immense world of my problem right now? And the guy basically says to him, I don't fit in your problem, Joshua. I am bigger than your problem. Joshua, I'm, I'm bigger than you. I'm bigger than Jericho. I'm bigger than all of Canaan. I am bigger than the whole world. I don't fit into your life. You want to know which side I'm on? Neither. You want to know where I fit in your problem? Do you have any idea who you're talking to? I don't fit into your problem, but I could fit your problem into my back pocket. Which side am I on? Neither, he says, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now, this is a mysterious figure, isn't it? Who is this? Who is this guy, the commander of the army of the Lord? It's easy to assume that this must be some kind of angel. Maybe it was, but I'm not convinced of that. Because there are hints, details in this passage that just make you realize, no, this is, this is no ordinary angel. For example, you'll notice the end of verse 14 when Joshua it says Joshua falls to the ground in reverence. Literally, he falls to the ground to worship this man. And here's the weird thing. This guy does not stop him. He receives that worship. If you've read the Bible, you know angels. Listen, angels sent from God, they never allow anyone to worship them. They always stop that instinctive response and say, don't worship me, only worship God. But this man allows Joshua to worship him. Who is this guy? And then you'll, you'll notice verse 15 says, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. What does that remind you of? It makes me think of, remember the story where, where Moses is, is out in the wilderness with, with his sheep and, and, and he sees this burning bush that's somehow not consumed by the flames and Yahweh himself speaks to Moses from the, book and says, from the bush and says, take off your, your sandals, you're on holy ground. And, and, and you know that in, in the Bible, whenever you're told you're on holy ground, it means you're what? You are in the presence of the infinite. You're in the presence of God. And something else that's weird in this passage, you'll notice in the, as you kind of read through, and, 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 and one scholar I read says we're, we're to read this as, as, the, as the record of one single event. In, in the first part of the passage, the person who's talking to Joshua is identified as the man with the sword. But then the next thing you know, verse 2 of chapter 6, the person talking to Joshua is the Lord Yahweh himself. Kind of, it's kind of weird. The speaker is, is, is described both as the commander of the army of the Lord and also as the Lord. So who is this? Well, I think it's dawning on Joshua that even though he was in this time in his life where he, he felt like the only thing the only thing present in his world was his problem. He's realizing that that feeling was, that feeling was not true. There, there, was, there was more in his world than just his problem. And would you listen to me? There's, there's more in your world than just whatever difficulty you're facing now. There was more in his world than just his problem. God was present in his world. God was with him. 
This, this uh, figure, the commander of the army of the Lord, is, is, uh, is uh, mysterious. And one more thing that's mysterious about this, when you read through the Bible and you get almost to the very end of the Bible, chapter 19 of Revelation, the, the, there's, again, you, you, you find this figure, not the exact words, but a figure arises who is described as one who commands the armies of heaven. And guess who it is? It's Jesus. Jesus. Revelation 19 describes this commander this way. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven follow him and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who was with Joshua. And believer, listen to me. That's who is with you right now. He's with us. What did Jesus say? The end of Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse 20. He said, surely, he said this to his followers. He said, surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice he didn't say, I, I'm with you sometimes till the end of the age, you know, on the good days when everything's going fine. That's, man, what, what comfort would that bring us? He said, I'm with you always. And so listen, I just, I don't know if, if today, if today you're dealing with some kind of problem that's just growing so large in your mind, it fills the whole horizon of your world. I just want you to know there is more in your world than just that. The living God is with you. So one thing Joshua learned, he just learned this, God is present. I hope you, have you learned that yet? Next thing he learned, he learned that God was in control. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one came out. The gates of Jericho were securely barred. That's the way Jericho looked. If you walk up on the hill and you look down on Jericho and you, you inspect it with your eyes, that's just the way it looks. Like there is no way in, there's no way out. The, the, the gates of Jericho are securely barred. That's the way it would look to your human eyes. But verse 2 of chapter 6 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, 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 I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now, when the Lord says to Joshua, see, why does he say that? He's telling Joshua, I don't want you to look at this situation merely with Human eyes, human understanding. I want you to look at this situation. Take a look again. I want you to look at it, Joshua, through the eyes of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, as Christians, this is how we live. Our whole life is this way. It says, we live by what? By faith, not by sight. In other words, what does that mean? How would you explain that to a non-Christian friend? You live by faith, not by sight. It means that when you come to know God's truth in Jesus Christ you realize that there is a reality 
that's deeper than the reality you can see. There's a reality behind the reality. It's deeper, it's stronger, it's more real. And what is it? It is the reality of who God is and what God has said. And that's what Joshua, God wants Joshua to see. He says, listen, Joshua, I want you to see. And then what does he say? I have delivered Jericho along with its king and its fighting men into your hands. Now, they, they translated the, the, uh, the, the tense of the verb very accurately there. That's what you find in the Hebrew. He says, I have delivered. You notice he doesn't say, Joshua, I will deliver Jericho into your hands. It's not done yet, but I'll get around to it. Or, you know, I might deliver Jericho into your hands. We'll see how it goes. Or, you know, if you behave yourself, I'm going to try my best to deliver. He doesn't say that. Right? What does he say? He says, I have delivered Jericho already. In other words, what he's telling Joshua to see in this problem. He says, I want you to, I want you to understand, Joshua, even though uh, the battle hasn't started yet, I want you to understand the victory is already won. Anyone who remembers what Christ did on the cross, that just kind of rings a bell. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? He said, what, right before he died, he said, it started. We're getting underway here. No, he said, it's finished. It's done. It's like God said to you, I have already delivered salvation, eternal life into your hands. It's done. That's what God says to Jericho. I have done this. I guarantee it. Now, guarantees, you know, it's hard to know what to make with them, right? You know, New York, New York Knicks fans, I'm, I'm a Knicks fan. New York Knicks fans, they've had, had many, many opportunities over the years to develop the, the spiritual virtue of humility, right? It can be very humbling to be a Knicks fan. And, and one of our, our humbling moments was spring of the year 2000, perhaps the greatest Nick ever, the, the center, Patrick Ewing, he guaranteed... He guaranteed a win in game six of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Indiana Pacers. He said, I guarantee it. And then the Pacers won by 13 points. Ewing missed his final six shots, and that was the last game he ever played as a Nick. <sighs> now, I don't say that to make fun of him. He's my hero, Patrick Ewing. I'm not I'm making fun of him. I'm just saying that's the way it is for all of us. How many times have you ever made a promise and then found you can't, can't keep it or, or make a plan and then realize it's, it'll never reach fulfillment? I mean, that's just the way it is for us. We make guarantees, and you don't know if they'll happen. But listen to me, believer, it's not that way with God. Amen? The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. You know what that means? It means what God says happens. It, it, it means that, that what, what God decrees takes place. And what God has not decreed does not take place. It means that he has the power to speak into existence with his words, things that are not and it means he keeps his, his promises. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35 says, The Most High does as he pleases with the powers of heaven, and he does as he pleases with the peoples of the earth. It says no one can hold back his hand. So this is, this is what Joshua learns here. He learns that even though, you know, with his eyes, he's looking at Jericho, he can see that the, the, the walls are barred and there's no way to get in. But he says that that's not the way it really is in the eyes of God. And I wonder if, uh, 
I wonder if God just wants to, for some of us, kind of open our eyes today to see what you can't see if you're just thinking from your perspective, to see what, maybe, what, let me ask you this. I, I don't know, we, I would imagine most of us here have some area of our, our life that just is a, a constant source of fear or anxiety or regret or heartbreak or pain. It's hard, Jericho. I wonder what you would see if you could look at your Jericho through God's eyes. I, I don't know if, if we'll ever see it perfectly, but I do know it's good to pray for that, that kind of insight and vision. I say that because the Apostle Paul prayed that for believers in Ephesians chapter 1. This is what he, he prayed. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you. What would it look like if you could go through this next week and, and, and you would just be able to see everything in somehow... Uh, tinted by the light of the hope to which God has called you. Everything you see, somehow flavored by that hope. He says, I want, I want the eyes of your heart enlightened also so that you could see the riches of God's glorious inheritance in his holy people. God views you as his inheritance. He views you as his treasure. What would it look like to, to view your life through that lens? And then he says, I also pray that you will, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the incomparably great power of God for us who believe. And he goes on to say that, that it's the same power that he used when he raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the highest place above every name that could ever be named in this world or in the next. He says that power is at work in your life. And so God says to you, believer, what he said to you. To Joshua, he says, see, see. So Joshua learns God is present. God is in control. One final thing. <laughs> this is where it gets hard. He learned that God was calling him to live by faith. Verse 3 through 5 of chapter 6, he, he, God says to him, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark on the seventh day march around the city seven time when the priests blow with the police priests blowing the trumpets when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets have the whole army give a loud shout then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up everyone straight in now this particular military strategy as far as i know is never taught at west point it's not taught at the Naval Academy in Annapolis. It's not taught at the uh, Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. In fact, this, as far as I know, this, this particular military strategy is not taught in any military training program anywhere in the world. And there's a reason for that. Because this is not a clever military strategy. It's not. I mean, you allow the enemy to observe all the strengths and weaknesses of your army by parading your forces in, front, in full view in front of them, right? You, you wear out your troops by having them march around this city a total of 13 times in, one, in the course of one week. You allow clergy members, not trained soldiers, to be the ones to sound the moment of attack. Bad idea, right? And then... You expect to just shout it. 
hearing at the top of your lungs is somehow going to make, it's going to make the walls of a fortified city fall, fall down. Listen, this is not a clever military strategy. So then what is it? This was God's call for his children to live by faith. Right? In other words, to put their, their trust not in their own strength or their own wisdom or their own selves. Are you trusting in your own strength, your own goodness? It was a call for them to put their trust in God, in his faithfulness, in his power, in his presence. And, and, and would, listen, you know that God is calling us to do the same thing, not march around this city, but place our faith in him. The whole message of the gospel is a call from the living God to stop trusting your own goodness and your own strength and place your faith in what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. Live by faith. What does it say in Romans 3? The just shall live by faith. Thank you. What kind of faith? Well, faith, this faith that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and now we're forgiven. Just forgive it. Faith, faith, faith that, that Christ rose from the dead and someday we will too. Amen? Faith, faith, faith that our Savior and friend ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and that he is right now, right now interceding for us. Faith. Faith that the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out on the church. That he is right now at work in the world. Right now he's calling sinners to the Savior. Right now he is sustaining the strength of God's people. So it, the gospel is this call to live by faith. And so I just, I'm done. I just want to finish with this. No, I need to sit down. I was thinking about this sermon this week. I was trying to, my wife said, what are you preaching on Sunday? I said, I felt a little bad because this is not a really fancy or intellectually stimulating message. It just this is one of those good old-fashioned trust God passages, right? And I felt a little embarrassed by it. And then I started looking through the Bible. As I was reading the Bible this week, I realized they're everywhere in Scripture. Almost, like almost every page, there's some story or some passage that is just saying to us, trust God, trust God, trust God. And so I don't know what you're dealing with today, but I know this is what God is saying to you. He's with you. He's in control. If you, if you doubt that he loves you enough to be with you, you just remember he loved, his, he loved you enough to give Jesus for you, right? And he loves you. If you doubt that he's in control, just remember he was strong enough to raise Jesus from the dead. I mean, he's in control. And then just remember, he's calling you to live by faith. And if you're not, if you're not a Christian, maybe you've, this sounds so weird to you. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. And you think, what does God want from me? What does he want me to do? He, just, he wants you to trust Jesus. Today could be the day you start doing that. You just say, okay, I am a messed up sinner. But if, he, if God will take someone like me, I'll trust him. And believer, you don't stop trusting, do you? That's not like something you outgrow. Keep trusting him. Keep following him. When he says, when he says, just keep marching, you trust him. 
Amen? Let's pray. Your word says that faith, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. And so we pray that having heard the word of Christ, you will speak faith to us today. Amen.